This year, my oldest daughter started first grade, and I was so excited for her to have a normal year of school. This is her third year in public school. Um, her pre-K year, it was really great for the first few months, and then spring break came, and she never went back because that's when COVID hit. And we had um, a five-month spring break and, um, and did online learning, and, and that was it. Then kindergarten rolled around, and um, we got to do the A-B schedule, so um, two days at home, and then, or two days at school, and then three days at home, and uh, finally they were able to go back to four days a week, and so we were really excited about that. And, uh, but this year, going into first grade, I, I told multiple people I'm so excited for her to have her first normal year of school. Well, we're just a few weeks in, and this year is shaping up to be anything but normal. And uh, from what I'm hearing from other parents, from teachers and administrators who are trying to navigate all of this, they're all tired of having to start over, of figuring out what's next, how we're going to cope with the latest round of things, how we're going to adjust when things inevitably change. We're, We're just feeling tired. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're in the midst of our sermon series, Starting Over, and we've been talking about different stories in the Bible. And one of the things that we see is that really almost every story in the Bible is a story of starting over and people entering into a new life with God. And so um, it's been really great to go through this, and I'm excited to share this with you today. My name is Brandon Blackston. I'm the executive pastor here, and um, I'm wearing my college colors. Uh, did my undergraduate at Oklahoma City University, Go Stars, and um, went to seminary at Vanderbilt. And so I'm uh, sporting my Vandy shirt today, and uh, I, I have to admit, though, um, going into college colors weekend, it's a little tough to be Vanderbilt in the SEC when football season rolls around. But I'm really excited excited about the research that's coming out of that university and all the academics, so that's what I'm rooting for right now, and uh, so I'm excited and would love to, to know what, uh, what team you're rooting for. So let us know in the comments, um, tag us in a photo of you and your college colors, we would love to see that today. And, and as we're going through, as we're starting all of these new things, like the football season, like the school year, uh, one of the things that we know is that starting over can be exciting, it can be invigorating, and it can also be exhausting especially when you don't have a choice, whenever it's something that you're forced into. And that's something that we're beginning to experience, or or maybe we're not beginning to experience it. We've really been experiencing it in a strong way for um, the last 18 months. But we know that it's not new with us. The people of Scripture, the people of God, have been experiencing this for millennia. And so as we've been going through this series, the place that we started was with Jeremiah and the people of Judah going into exile in Babylon. And as we heard their story, one of the things that we learned is that starting over is not leaving. It's not just going someplace else, but it starts with hope in God's good time wherever we are. In the second week, we heard the story of Moses and and the Exodus as he led the people out of slavery to Egypt. And one of the things that we saw slavery is starting over is not going back. And even as the people had escaped um, from Pharaoh and from Egypt, it it didn't take them long, just a few days in the desert before they started thinking about how great they had it. And, And so what Pastor Mark taught us was don't focus on the past, focus on God whenever you're starting over. In week three, we talked about the story of Peter, and we remembered particularly his denial of Jesus on the night before he was killed, that three times he denied his Lord, and yet Jesus came to him after he rose from the dead and forgave him and welcomed him back into fellowship and founded the church around his leadership. And so we were reminded that God is always offering us grace, even when we really mess up. Finally, last week, we heard the story of Paul, who 
was a persecutor of the church and then became its greatest proponent, the one who caused it to spread throughout the Mediterranean world. And we learn that starting over, that starting over by eliminating distractions and focusing on the essential, which Paul defines as knowing and following Jesus. Now this week, we're going to hear the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And one of the things that we'll talk about is starting over when you're tired of starting over in that position that so many of us are in these days. And I'm regularly reminded whenever I watch the news that that even the things that I'm tired of pale in comparison to what many around the world are going through. And and so we look at places like Haiti and Afghanistan and, and now the people in Louisiana who are being forced to start over. And in all of those places, there have been recent either conflicts or natural disasters that they've experienced that they're just moving on from and now having to greet those things again. In Haiti, we're seeing after um, the earthquake, whenever it hasn't been long since the last major earthquake that they've suffered. In Afghanistan, coming back under Taliban rule after they've just uh, spent 20 years without it. And then in Louisiana, um, 15 years after... Hurricane Katrina, now facing rebuilding after another one. And um, I can only imagine what the people are going through, of having to start over again after all that they've been through. Closer to home, we know that there are hospitals, there are schools, there are businesses, and, and our families are faced with challenges that we hope that we were past. We hope that we had moved on from them and, and we just keep going, and, and now we find ourselves back starting over, having the same discussions that we were having, having to make the same kinds of decisions that we were whenever we hoped that, that distribution of the vaccine would mean that we were past it. And then, of course, there are countries that haven't even had the opportunities to start vaccinating their people. And so we know all around the world there's so much suffering, there's so much anxiety, there's so much stress because we're having to start over again. And it is difficult to persevere when it feels like we have to keep starting over again and again and again. And one of the people that we can learn from in the Bible who helps us whenever we find ourselves in that situation is Mary who several times throughout her life found herself on major detours from what she had planned and had to start over. And yet she continued to show up. She continued to say yes to God. And so she sets an amazing example for us because we are all going to find ourselves in those places, even after COVID. And so we need to know how can we keep going whenever we are just tired. That's what we're going to talk about today whenever life doesn't go according to plan. And that's what happened to Mary. Whenever we meet her, she's a teenager, uh, most likely, whose life is about to take a radical turn. We don't know exactly how old she was. Um, Scholars think she was maybe as young as 12 to 14, maybe older in her teens, depending on who you're reading. But um, regardless, she was younger than 20, um, fairly young, and she was engaged to be married. This is um, how Luke introduces her to us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And so Mary had basically at that time a, a pretty typical life um, for, for a woman in that time. Basically, your, your status, your protection, all of those things came from a man. For Mary, um, for young unmarried girls like Mary, that would have been her father. And soon that was going to be transferred to Joseph after she was married. And so she was on that path. Um, her family had found a husband for her, and they would be married soon. But whenever Gabriel appeared to her, it changed everything. And so Gabriel came and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, can you imagine an angel appearing to you, um, a virgin, someone who is engaged to be married, and telling you, you are going to become pregnant? Like, that, that alone is enough to just kind of, like, to stop you dead in your tracks. But not only will, will you have a baby, the baby is going to be the promised Messiah, the one whom the prophets foretold God would send to deliver the people of Israel. And so everything that Mary had, this, this announcement that she received, Gabriel's announcement took Mary from the normal path she expected and placed her on one that was totally unknown, one that, that she didn't know what would happen. She didn't know what her parents would say whenever she told them. Um, I, I don't know where she was, but I know I would not feel good about the odds of being believed whenever I told that story. She didn't know what would happen to her whenever she told Joseph. Um, would he just leave her? Which uh, Matthew tells us uh, he contemplated doing and was almost ready before he received a visit from an angel of his own. But everything that she had planned had suddenly been thrown into disarray and basically had gone out the window. So what did Mary say? What would any of us say in that situation? For most of us, probably not. What Mary did say, what she said was, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. All of those things that you've just said, I'm God's servant, here I am, let it be. Let it happen. Can you imagine having that kind of response whenever you were told that your entire life was not going to go as you had planned it? And just saying yes. And even though it threatened her reputation, even though it threatened her betrothal to Joseph, Mary embraced fully the new thing that God was doing through her and literally inside of her. And not only that, but later, whenever she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth, she rejoices in what God is doing and, and sings these words that you may remember as the Magnificat of Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name." according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants, forever. And so this, this massive pre- promise that goes all the way back to the story of Abraham was going to come true through Mary, and she rejoiced in it. She was so thankful to be a part of it. Now, that doesn't mean she never um, was scared. I mean, if, if she was human at all, surely she felt fear some of the time. It doesn't mean she was worried, was not worried or anxious, but she embraced what God was doing. And because of that, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, came into the world through her. She gave birth, you know the story, um, in Bethlehem to a boy named Jesus. And thus, Mary began her journey of parenting the Messiah. And th- this was a joyous thing for her, but one of the things that she found out fairly early on, um, just a week or so after Jesus was born, is that her status as Jesus' mother would have profound consequences for her, and not only in a positive way. And she found this out whenever they took him to the temple to have him dedicated and met a man named Simeon, a righteous man who had been waiting for the promised one that God would send. And this is what Simeon said to her after glorifying God and meeting the child. Um, He had these words to say to her and 
to Joseph, but specifically to Mary. Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, This child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So not only would Jesus be a source of conflict and and difficulty between people who opposed him, but even Mary's heart would be pierced with a sword. Now, that's a a metaphorical declaration, but a promise of suffering that would come because of the things that would come to pass around her son. And um, she may have gotten glimpses earlier than this, but the earliest glimpse that we have of that um, comes later in the Gospel of Luke when Jesus was around 12. Um, She began to glimpse this, at least as far as we can tell, in the temple when Jesus was 12. And uh, they had gone down to Jerusalem in order to celebrate one of the festivals. And as they were going back, she thought that Jesus was somewhere, you know, they they were traveling a long way. and, uh, And so a big group would have all gone together from Galilee, from Nazareth where they lived. And as they were going back, she assumed Jesus was somewhere in the crowd. And, uh, and a few days later, they realized he was not there. And so they were a day out and had to go a day back. And uh, this is what we read next. After three days, they found Jesus in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? That's a good question. I think as a parent, I would have that same question three days later. Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. But Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. And so she had this son who, who she knew from the beginning that he was special, that he, God had a special purpose for him. But even at the age of 12, he began teaching and, and interacting with teachers in the temple in the way that she never expected. And she began exceeding even her own expectations. And, and so he, he continued to grow um, in wisdom and in favor. And when Jesus grew up and, and began his own ministry, Mary supported him and, and even pushed him a little bit in his ministry, gave him a little, bit nudge, a little bit of a nudge before he was really ready for that. This is what we read in the second chapter of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, "'They have no wine.'" And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. And so Jesus was saying, basically, it's, it's not the time for me to reveal myself. And, uh, and his, his way of responding to her can sound a little harsh to us. There's no harshness if you go back to the original and the cultural context. But he's basically saying, you know, this is um, not something that I can concern myself about. And, and so his mother, of course, said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. I love that. That's an interesting glimpse into Mary's character and her personality. Uh, we sometimes look at her as kind of so meek and humble and, and almost, um, almost a passive character in the Bible, and yet we see her, her asserting herself. Okay, Jesus, I know your time is not coming. Just do whatever he says. And, uh, and, and so he does. He, he changed the water into wine, and the people celebrated. And so it says, Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother, his brothers, and his disciples, and they remained there a few days. 
And so one of the things that we see here is that Mary was supportive of her son and even ready for him um, to, to get started before he himself may have been ready, or at least uh, before he, he was going to without, uh, without her playing her part. And so we see that, that she knew who he was, she knew what, she was cap- that what he was capable of, even turning water into wine. And yet despite her knowledge and support of Jesus, of his identity, of his mission, and of his power, even she did not fully understand him. Um, once while he was teaching, um, there, there was a great crowd that had come out and, uh, around him, and, and they had heard that, that things were getting a, a little bit out of hand. And, and this is what it said. Uh, the crowd came together again so that Jesus and his disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he is gone out of his mind. His family was worried about him. They were like, okay, Jesus is, is going a little bit out there. We need to bring him back and, and kind of have him bring things down a little bit. And so his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my brother, my mother, and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And I imagine that was a difficult thing for Mary, um, almost uh, to be almost made an example of, um, not, not in a mean way, but, but Jesus took that opportunity to share that what he was doing was bigger than any one human family. And so she had to wrestle with this, with recognizing, we all, we all experience it as parents, um, having, seeing our children kind of grow up and rely on us less. Um, but in this profound way, Mary, as the mother of the Messiah, had to deal with it in, in a particularly profound and acute way of recognizing that what her son was doing was bigger than their family and, and was even beyond what she could understand. And later on, of course, at the end of his ministry, at the end of his life, her heart, as Simeon said, would be pierced. And so Mary stood with Jesus throughout his life in different ways, um, supporting his ministry, um, helping him grow up, all of those kinds of things. And and at the end, she watched. Whenever he was finally arrested, had his trial, and was hung on the cross, she was there. She was going to be with him to the end. She watched as he was brutally executed on the cross. This is how John tells it. And that is what the soldiers did. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples, the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. At the very end of Jesus' life, even nearing just the last few minutes when he would soon take his last breath, he saw his mother, and one of his last acts was to care for her, to make sure that she was cared for after he had died. But Mary was there, and I can't even imagine what that would have been like. I've walked with people who have lost children, and, um, and we know what an awful thing that is, how no parent should have to endure that. Um, and Mary endured that as well, and not only as a parent, but also as, as a child of God, as part of the people of Israel, who, who not only had lost her son, but had put her hope in him as the Messiah and the Savior, and must have been utterly desolate whenever he died. And yet, his entire life, even to the end, she was there. Mary showed up. 
from the Annunciation, whenever Gabriel announced that she would become pregnant, to the death on the cross. Mary was a faithful mother and a servant of God. She was there, and she showed up. And then she found herself in a situation, and all those years, 33 years after her life had taken a change that she never could have anticipated, having to start over again. And so following Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven, after all that she had gone through, after the emotional roller coaster of losing her son and then um, knowing that he was risen again, and, and we don't know, it's not recorded if he appeared to her or not um, in the Gospels. We don't know that. But after going through that and then knowing that he had ascended into heaven and, and was no longer with her physically, after all of that, Mary could have just gone home. And no one would have faulted her for that. I mean, who could blame her for saying, I've had enough, you all continue, I've done my part, it's time for new people to carry on. And yet after his ascension, after he gave the disciples instructions to go and to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, when the disciples gathered to pray and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, Mary showed up. She showed up. She was one of the ones who was there. This is what Luke says in the book of Acts. He says, When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. After everything... When it was time to start over again, instead of going home, instead of phoning it in, instead of just quitting, Mary said yes. Just as she did in the very beginning whenever Gabriel appeared to her, she said yes to God. She showed up and continued the work that her son had begun in his earthly ministry. And that's what each of us can do as well, whatever situation we find ourselves in. We may not be in a situation as extreme and difficult as Mary's, but we know that so many of us are tired, so many of us are suffering. And so here's what we can learn from Mary's story for whenever we are tired of starting over. One of those is to keep things in perspective. Part of that is, is realizing the, the relative size of our problems. Um, I know whenever I'm dealing with things, whenever I'm frustrated with things that we're having to do or decide about COVID, that there are whole continents of people who, who just wish that they had the problems that I have, um, who wish that they could have easy access to a vaccine anytime that they wanted it. And so we keep them in perspective. There's also another perspective, though, that, that Mary kept her, her situation in, and that's in the perspective of what God is doing in the world. And so this is a part of what she's saying in the Magnificat whenever she was with Elizabeth celebrating what God was doing. She said, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. She remembered that any time that, that whatever was going on with her, whether she was facing rejection from Joseph or from her parents whenever she told them what had happened and that she was pregnant, she knew that God was doing something bigger, that, that the small part that she played was a part of something much bigger that God was doing. And so whenever we find ourselves in those tough places of having to start over again, whenever we're just tired, we remember the greater scale of what God is doing. And not only that, Whenever we're struggling, if we can get our minds outside of ourselves and our own problems, we find that there is so much more going on, and it can help us just to see the bigger picture of what God is doing around us. And so we keep things in perspective. Then we don't start over alone. 
One of the, the things that's remarkable about, about looking through the Gospels at the different places where Mary is mentioned is that aside from when Gabriel appears to her, she is never alone. She is always with people. And so following all the events uh, of Jesus' death and his resurrection and ascension, what did she do? She didn't go home. She gathered with the disciples to pray. And so whenever we are going through new beginnings, whether that's something exciting, whether that's something that we never would have chosen, we do it with other people and specifically with other part people in the body of Christ. And, and that's really one of the great things that comes from being part of things like Acts 2 University, is that we meet other people, we form deeper relationships, and we have people who walk with us through those really hard times, who support us, who bring us casserole, um, whom we can call whenever we're just hurting and need someone to talk to. That's what we find whenever we find other people in small groups and Bible studies and that we know in worship. And so whenever we start over, we don't do it alone. And then whenever you find yourselves in that situation, look for the new thing that God is doing. Because whenever we're going through difficult things, we always know that God has something new planned in the future. And the book of Lamentations has a beautiful picture of this. Uh, It's called Lamentations because it is not a happy book. It is a book of lament, of lamenting over something awful that has happened. And so this is what we read there. Um, After an extended um, lament, we read, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. New every morning. Not just on mornings whenever we wake up and and the sun is shining and we can't see a cloud, but on every morning. Cloudy mornings, snowy mornings, no matter what, whenever we feel great, whenever we feel awful, God is with us. God's mercies are new every morning. And we see this even at the beginning of Mary's story, whenever she found out that she would have a baby, that she would be the mother of the Son of God, that that something had changed in her, that, that in the moment that she conceived, everything had changed. And, and yet it wasn't even perceptible yet. And yet God had planted a seed that would change everything, literally everything in the world that came after her. This is how theologian Rowan Williams talks about it. He says, The God who begins the story of his world-shattering life in the midst of creation with that tiny imperceptible change in the body of Mary is still a God who works with tiny and hidden changes. And so whenever we find ourselves in difficult places, whenever we find ourselves having to start over again, we never know the places where God has planted seeds and that will bloom into amazing new things God is doing. Whenever you're in that situation, look for the new things that God is doing for us and for the world. And then remember the one who holds us all. Uh, I said earlier that Mary is never alone, but even if she wasn't with other people, she was never alone to begin with because God was with her. That's what Gabriel said to her whenever um, he first appeared. He said to her, he came to her and said, greetings favored one, the Lord is what? Say it with me, with you. And that is the thing that we can always, always remember. No matter what, the Lord is is with us, and we are never alone. Remember that no matter where you find yourself, no matter what you're having to start over from, that God is holding you in God's hands. You are never alone. And so wherever you are, whatever you're having to start over from, whether it's COVID and that kind of mess that so many of us are going through with, maybe it's something that's totally different. Maybe it's something that's tragic and and unimaginable. Here's some action steps that I want to challenge you to take this week. 
And uh, one of them starts with a prayer that um, is very dear to me. There was a particularly tough week that I had, and that just kind of became kind of just the background in my mind. I was just praying this prayer um, constantly, and it helped me a lot. God used that to help me through a difficult time. And so I want to challenge you to, to begin every morning this week with that prayer. And this is the prayer. I want to invite you to say it with me. New every morning is your love, great God of light, and all day long you are working for good in the world. Stir up in us desire to serve you, to live peacefully with our neighbors, and to vote each day to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so pray that prayer and see if it doesn't help you to pay attention to the things that God is doing and to remind you that God's love is new every morning, and every morning is a new chance to start over in Christ. The second thing I want to challenge you to do is to engage in one act of hope, to participate in whatever that new thing may be that God is doing, to be a part of the seeds that have been planted. And that might be something simple, like sending a note uh, to a doctor or a nurse, somebody who's really struggling under the load of, of full hospitals and ICUs. It might just be reaching out to a teacher, to an administrator, a principal, someone who's really having to deal with um, the fact that nothing they decide will make everybody happy. And in fact, any decision they make is probably going to make half of the people really upset. And so reach out. Act in kindness. Start that new thing that God has been working on you to start. Do something. Be a part of the change that God is bringing into the world. I love the way Rowan Williams talks about it again. He said, as we contemplate the coming months, not knowing when we can breathe again, it's worth thinking about how already the foundations have been laid for whatever new opportunities God has for us on the far side of this crisis. And he's exactly right. We don't know what God has planned for us on the far side of all this, or even when that might be, but we do know that God is already at work, that God has already created those opportunities, and we can be a part of that. And so choose one way to be a part of that this week. There's um, an icon that I love, uh, an icon of Mary, and and I, I got it at a really holy and sacred place, a flea market in Nashville. Any place is sacred with God. And so this is it. I've got it on my desk. I love it. Um, it's a reminder of Mary and of Jesus. And, um, and so I, I love that. And, but there's another one that I've become aware of recently that, that is also uh, really profound to me. And it's a, an icon from later in Mary's life. It's actually from her death. And we don't know um, from the scriptures exactly how that happened, but, but it's captured so beautifully. And, and so this is, this is the icon. Um, you can see Mary on her deathbed. Jesus is standing over her. And then you can also see that there, Jesus looks like he's holding an infant. And, and it's this beautiful symbolism for the one who carried Jesus inside of her, who literally held him in her arms, now at her death is being held in his arms. And as I see this, I I just remember, and I hope that you remember too, whatever you're going through, that Jesus is holding you in his arms as well. That just as the arms of Mary carried him and nurtured him and were with him all the days of his life, that he continues to hold you and to carry you through whatever you're going through, through whatever new beginning you're having to start this day. Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful that you are always with us, that you go with us into new beginnings and allow us to start over. And I pray that you would help us to remember the example of Mary, that you'd help us to live in the way that she did, to say yes to you, even whenever we're exhausted.
And so, God, I pray that you would strengthen us this day, that you would give us courage, that you would give us perseverance, so that whenever we are really tired, we would continue. We thank you for your son. We thank you for his love for us, that he continues to hold us in his arms, and that he taught us even how to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.